Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lily Allen Duenas. Together, we'll talk about the world of yoga and we'll talk to people from around the world. Before diving into the episode, I wanted to invite you to head on over to my Patreon account. I would love your support and I'm thrilled to have this beautiful community space where we can do yoga together, meditate together, and you'll get access to exclusive content. Get ready for some private Zoom Q&As, free printable art, meditation recordings, and more. Follow the link in the show notes to get started or head on over to any of my social media channels or my website, wildyogatribe.com to hang out, get to know each other better, and find out more about all the support and resources available to you. Ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Mariam Mayuti, a yoga teacher from Bermuda. She's a certified registered yoga teacher with 500 hours, and she's also a certified mindfulness teacher. Her yoga classes are really anatomy-informed, and her instructions are always geared towards injury prevention and connection to one's breath. And I love how she always is seeking to remind her students that the skeletal differences and anatomical variations will stop us from actually looking like the yoga photos or the yoga pictures that we're finding on social media or Google or even in books. So I'm so excited to hear more about Mariam's story and to have her on the show today. So thank you so much for being here. Hi, Lily. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say I'm a big fan of your work. I love your podcast. And it's so good that the way that you speak to the different teachers from all over the world and that you connect us in that way. I think sometimes we feel a little isolated, maybe, in this sector. And so knowing that others are doing such wonderful things definitely brings a sense of community. So I'd like to congratulate you for that and for and to thank you for inviting me. Oh, my heart is so warm. Thank you so much for those kind words. And I would love to start off our conversation together by hearing more about your story and how yoga came into your life. Okay, nothing earth shattering here. I was a member of a gym a long time ago. And one day in 2008, I just saw that yoga was taught in one of the rooms and I walked in. This was in Bermuda. And I walked in and I never looked back. The first time around, and you can tell who the novices are, I kept my socks on, didn't have it mad. I had no clue what they were talking about. I was looking around. The teacher actually giggled a few times and she had to take me aside and explain some things to me very kindly, which was nice of her. But somewhere at the time I found, and I still find that more than the physical movement and the physical aspect of the asanas and even pranayam or the breathing, it was it did something to my mind. I'm not saying it quieted my mind, but it did something that helped some healing take place. At the time I was going through a personal crisis of sort. And yeah, yoga definitely helped me with that. It helped me with a bit of depression and with medication. I'm not saying that it was the cure, but it definitely provided me with quite a bit of a boost. And it continues to. This was in 2008. So what's that? 14 years ago. And like I said, I haven't looked back since. 
Mm, I also came to yoga through a gym myself. Back when I was 16, there was a yoga, or there was no yoga studio. I'd never heard of yoga. There was no yoga studios. And I was in California where I grew up, and one of the gyms just offered a yoga class. And on a whim, one of my soccer friends said, hey, want to go? And I just really vividly remember making jokes saying, oh, do you want to go yogurt after yoga? I'm thinking I was so funny. (laughs) But I agree with you that I walked into that room and I felt something immediately shift. There was this just like, just this enormous resonance of what was happening and just feeling there was an, a huge impact of that. Something clicking together, like it was just a beautiful thing for me. And I know people sometimes even can criticize yoga's being in gyms or, oh, you teach yoga only at a gym, or there can be some judgment about gym-based yoga. But like what an incredible gateway and resource. And I'm so glad it goes on in gyms and parks and prisons and hospices, like wherever it needs to be. I'm glad yoga's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and like I said, just from my personal experience ever since then, I've dragged every good friend I've had to yoga. I've, and many of them have stuck with it since. It, it speaks to so much more, like I said, than asana. And you and I both know, and other teachers both know that yoga encompasses so much more than asana. There's eight limbs. But the movement, somehow the movement and the focus on your movement and taking your brain out of your mind and into your body does something in in this era where we're also go we have so many we wear so many different hats we have so much going on we have so many lists going in our brains at the same time that when you have the opportunity to just slow down and just do one posture at a time and be giving the cues and be giving the instructions and be part of a group that is doing all doing the same thing. There's definitely something very peaceful and very connecting about it. Absolutely. And I love that you've brought up already so exciting. I'm so happy it's in the beginning of the episode too, how yoga is more than the asana. That's something I love to talk about on the show to kind of illuminate that for any of our listeners that might be newer to the practice and might have just been introduced through the asana, which is that very typical gateway into the practice. But as you said, just in the terms of asana, taking your mind out of your brain. Wow, that was really powerful, Mariam, how you said that. Taking the mind out of the brain and putting it back into the body. I think that's something that I, our listeners will really hopefully connect with, just thinking, oh, that's what's happening. <laughs> it's dropping down. And through that releasing of all of those dispersive and distracted thinking pattern by kind of aligning it with movement and breath, and as you said, with the people in the room practicing, how tribal, how animalistic, how biological of our human pack animal desire to be with other creatures, similar creatures, other human beings doing the same thing as us, same purpose, same intention. It's really powerful. Oh, for sure. We're definitely social beings, aren't we? And we felt that during the pandemic, during those lockdowns where you had to stay home and those of us who live alone, it made a big difference. Uh, Thankfully, we had the internet and so we could still practice and those of us who teach, we could still teach online. But there was something missing still. I believe that teaching online is, is a valuable resource and a valuable option. But I'll take an in-person class over a Zoom class any day just because that you're hearing everybody breathe at the same time and you've got the inhale and the exhale and you've got some people use their jai breath and it's just so powerful to be doing this together. And while actually 
while you're in a group practicing, you have that communal impact that you were talking about, but really you're connecting with yourself and yoga allows you to do that. That's one thing that I love about this practice that allows you to connect to yourself. It allows you to learn so much about yourself. And I say that to my students regularly. It's not about touching your toes. It's about what you learn on the way there. Whether you touch them or not is immaterial. And so even though you're in a group, you're still getting to know yourself better. You're working on yourself. You're slowing things down for yourself, which then makes you able or enables you to take this practice off the mat when you go back into the group. There's that going back and forth that I find very appeasing. As you said, whether you touch your toes is completely irrelevant. I love that reminder too, because the ego is so easy to creep into the practice, especially, I wanted to say, especially at the beginning, to be honest with you, but that's probably not honest. Nothing is linear. Nothing is either dual as good or bad either. And having that awareness though of the goal of my practice is not to touch my toes. It's not to become a pretzel. It's what will change for me if I can get my foot behind my head or not. Will that change anything in a meaningful way for my life? Probably not. But the ability to gain those inner insights and inner wisdoms of who we are and how we are and to generate more of that kind of compassionate opening for ourselves and others, I think is way more humbling than the ability to put our foot behind our head would ever be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's about compassion. It's about kindness. That's also something that I mention a lot is just be kind to your body. And you're right by saying, you know, to be really honest, we all want to look a certain way when we're taking a certain posture for however many breaths that we're in that posture. And we have to, even the teachers, I know it happens with me. And I have to remind myself, there are some things I will never be able to do. And there are some things that for which I guess there are some things for which the process is almost more valuable than getting to that posture because you're, what happens on the inside is valuable. What happens to your, how you're moving your bones and your muscles and the fascia and all of that yet, but also internally with you, what goes on as you're thinking about this challenging posture and, and how you're adopting it and whether you're using your breath in a way that allows you to bring peace to yourself during this stressful time, I find that it's important to remind ourselves of that. And so you got to practice what you preach as a teacher, because like I said, it happens with me. I know, for instance, that I could be in child's pose all day. My hips will never touch my heels. I've been doing yoga almost daily for several years now, and there are some things I'll never get to doing, which is having my body in that shape in a way that my hips touch my heels. That doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't mean I'm doing child's pose in any lesser way than anybody else. It is what works for my body, considering how my shape is and what my body is made up of and the angles of my bones and all of that. And so when we remember that as a teacher, it brings some humbleness to your whole class that you're teaching. And it makes you more human because you're not doing those pretzel poses. And when you have beginners coming into the class, it is very important for them to know that you don't have to look like me. I've been doing this for years. You don't have to look like me. But also, you may we may never look the same because our bodies are made differently. Focus on what goes on on the inside of you, physically and spiritually and mentally, and see where that takes you. Oh, absolutely. I'm always saying in yoga classes, we'll say that my example is what I'm saying in yoga classes is we'll say we're in happy baby. And I'm saying the intention is to get the knees closer to the earth, even though it will never happen 
for me in this lifetime, because <laughs> I know that in this lifetime, my anatomy has certain limitations to it as well. And whether you do yoga for one month, one year, 10 years, there is just anatomical skeletal variations to our structure. And we can't break our bones and nor should we to get into certain asanas or shapes. And I love that you have that transparency and that kind of humility and humanity when you approach your students saying, hey, you don't have to look like me and you might never and you might never touch your toes. You might never open your hips into a lotus pose, but that's not the purpose. And it is it's important, probably part of the journey too, to understand you might be struggling and struggling to get, we'll just use the example of the foot behind the head. And then you'll recognize one day, why am I struggling so much? What am I bringing to my yoga practice? And how is that serving me? How is that being a part of my practice and my life? And is that something I want to keep or something I want to let go of? And I guess you also made me think, Miriam, of those Instagram and social media posts that say, oh, here's a photo of me doing wheel pose a year ago and today or a week ago and today. These transformation posts, I think, are so, to be a little frank with our listeners, I think they're very ridiculous because I think it plants a seed in the practitioner's minds that, oh, if I just do this, follow their steps, follow what they tell me, my expectation will be that all of a sudden I can be in a perfect wheel pose or people are selling courses for, you know, a hundred dollars get yourself in a handstand in 10 days. Oh man, this is so unrealistic. And I think it's hurtful. I think it's hurtful to the practitioners globally who encounter material and media like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a little irresponsible and we we have to take, you and I know that we have to take all of that with a grain of salt. So our job, I find, is to plant all those seeds in our students as they walk in. So for instance, my class, although I am very much in love with the spiritual aspect of yoga and we with the other limbs, and I've studied it for years. Since I got my 200, I went straight into a couple of anatomy certifications, and then got the 300, and then you know, got the 500, and then I got my meditation certification. So I very much buy into a lot of that. However, in my classes, I rarely mention those things because I know the uh, picture that a lot of people have about yoga, right? It's either this new age thing or that it's one big stretch, right? Or it's a stretching class. And so when and people come into my class, first of all, they're outside of the greeting at the beginning. And I always end my classes with giving some thought to self-study. I encourage my students to let one thing go when they think about today's practice, for instance. And then I take a moment to think about gratitude. And I do say namaste. And I say that light in me honors the light in you. In between these two, let's say, bookends, it's all about alignment. It's all about being safe in your body as you're moving through this asana sequence. It's all about uh, cues and instructions and reminding everybody to connect to your breath, reminding everybody that your breathing will allow you to manage distress if you don't like you know, chair pose, for instance. It'll allow you to go deeper into the twist as 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 deeper and as, as safely as possible, use your breath. And so my classes and a lot of the classes of, of the teachers that I like are very much like that. You know, we just work on 
wherever we are, reminding people that we're all different. But also, especially if we have beginners, limiting the rest of the stuff. At this stage, when you're walking in new into yoga, you came in here for a reason, and it probably has to do more with your body than with your mind, right? And so I'm here to cater to that and to then serve as the bridge. So if you want to come to my other classes or if you want to come to workshops, etc., then at least you have that foundation. That is so fascinating, Mariam, that you think that most of your students are coming in with just will assume the assumption is that with a focus on the body. For me, when I think my students are coming in, it's I, I always have that assumption that it's to focus on their mind. I just feel like everyone is so stressed out, so stressed out. I don't think people come to my class to lose five pounds. I I guess maybe that's my clientele that I've been serving here in this community. I think they're coming in more with the, I'm so stressed out. I have insomnia. I have anxiety. I need to calm down. So I'm deregulating the nervous system and I need to have that. But I guess on the flip side with a little more reflection, I definitely have students who come in with physical pain that are looking to alleviate or prevent from worsening physical ailments. So that's that's good food for thought. It's definitely not a diet or a I want a tone or I want a XYZ. It definitely feels a little bit more uh, mental as but in a medicinal way, I guess, a uh, yoga in a medicinal way. Yeah, and isn't it wonderful that between your students, my students and other students, yoga is able to serve so many different populations, let's say, right? I I know about my students uh, because it's a small town and you get to know them personally. And some of them are very active, very physically active, first of all, except for one or two, they're all older than me and I'm 45. And um, they come in because they've been biking or they've been running. Some of them will run the 5K to where I'm teaching and then take the class. And so they come in with sometimes some discomfort or some injuries that are brought on by the habitual movement that they make because they play tennis or they play squash or because they run, etc. So they come with that awareness, but they also have the vocabulary. And so they'll tell you, uh, you know, I usually start my class by saying, are there any injuries, but also are there any requests, anything you want me to focus on? And sometimes they'll say, oh, hip flexors. So they have some of the terminology. Of course, on my end, I have to be discerning enough to read through it. But the the focus is that coming to yoga for a stretch because my hamstrings are too tight or my quads are doing this. And then stuck with me all these years. And now I know that they recognize the value of, of asana far beyond that physical aspect initially. But that's exactly how I approach it. I approach it with the, the body first. The mind will follow. And so since we're spending so much time talking also about the asana and our teaching practices and our students in the asana world and realm. Is there anything about the other eight limbs that you would like to share, whether it's something from your own self-study or something that you're teaching or that's moving through you? I'd love to hear if there's anything that that question brings up. That's a lovely question, Libby. I'm a big believer in connecting to your breath. And so I guess pranayam. In my classes, um, initially I used to say inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, you know, as we are taught after our 200 hour. Now I've lessened those instructions. I do, however, uh, believe in the power of connecting to your breath because, like you said, it regulates your nervous system, right? And because it helps you flow through postures. And I find that breathing exercises are definitely a tool that I was taught in my studying yoga 
and in my practice. And I, it's really something that I like to transmit to my students. And so it's definitely your breath is your anchor, right? Your breath reminds you where you are. And so let's say you're in a posture and it's difficult and you can't wait for me to stop counting so you can move on to the next posture. Just remember your breathing. And then remember the pattern that you chose initially, right? Whether it's two, two count or three count or four count. Just kind of reconnect to your breath. And when you do that, I find that this carries you through. And ideally, my dream for my students and for, for myself is something I still work on, is that once you have that and you've got a habitual pattern, that you can take it off the mat. And so if you are in an environment is stressful, if you're having conversations that are difficult, then maybe your breath, the same way it helps you with your yoga postures, maybe it'll help you through that. I mean, we're taught to breathe until 10 if, you know, your child is having a tantrum. But there's so much more to it, right, than just that. And so that's definitely a limb that I believe in. That's a limb that I constantly try to use on a daily basis, whether I'm teaching or practicing or whether I'm just moving through life. Thank you so much for sharing that. And the connection to the breath it has so much to illuminate. And I, I love it whenever it happens, whenever a student asks me, okay, why the breath? <laughs> whether they're snarky or whether they're sassy or whether they're genuinely curious, I love that question. And I would love to hear your answer. Why the breath, Miriam? That's such a lovely question. So when I begin my classes, I usually encourage students to actually choose an anchor. So we can be your breath or it can be, for instance, your touch points with your mat and the earth that is supporting you, right? And so, yes, there's a lot of talking about the breath and how it carries you through stressful situations, including a different yoga posture. But also, if that doesn't work for you, you can think about where is my body touching my mat? Is it, if I'm on all fours, is it hands and knees? If I'm in Tadasana, is it my feet? If I'm in warrior two, what is my back foot doing? What is my front foot doing? But if one anchor is not working for a student, I'm very happy to provide the, the other anchor because at the end of the day, you want to use something that's going to help you to drop in. So if your brain is starting to flutter again, whatever anchor, whether it's your breath or something else that you can use to bring you back into that mental state, then by all means, use it. I don't personally use music in my classes. I find music distracting to me personally as a teacher. And I, I just find, you know, having a playlist and all of that, it takes away from the spontaneity of the class when I'm teaching it personally. And yes, I have a plan going in, but depending on who shows up to class that day or depending on what new injuries there are or what new requests there are, I'm going to have to pivot, right? I'm going to have to change to adapt the sequence of what I'm trying to teach to that group that day. But having a specific song playlist, I find that distracting, so I never really use it. So I can't really speak to using music as an anchor. Mm, and yeah, I strongly prefer not to teach with any music. When I'm traveling and teaching, I am never playing it. I will not do it because I think your music needs to be your own breath. That's the rhythm to follow. That's what you need to be focused and connected. That is the music of the practice is the breath. However, that being said, there's not all communities and studios and spaces are prepared or receptive and they can find it very intimidating or very 
I don't know, alarming, the fact that there's no other noise. Recently, I was taught one class where I had, normally they were very accustomed to music. I had said, okay, today our breath is our music and this is what we're doing. And then there was a very loud car that parked outside. So for the last 15 minutes of class, there was loud music outside. And all the students after commented like, oh, I was so happy when (laughs) the music I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. So I really have to respond to what the, they need and what makes them feel more comfortable. But I'm glad we got to touch on it because it's something that has been on my heart of late. <laughs> and if there's something to be said to still practicing regardless of external distractions, right? So in meditation, yes, it's nice to have a quiet room or a room with that specific kind of quote-unquote meditation style music. However, you should be able to meditate on a train. You should be able to meditate while you're taking the bus. And if you're able to do that and still drop into that state, regardless of all the noise and the yelling, children running around and the honking and all of that's going on around you, then that speaks to the depth of your practice. So maybe the yoga practice, you realize there's rarely a complete yes or a complete no. And so the answer always lies in between. So I'm glad that for your students, you were able to adapt this way and then turn around and then say, okay, all the music is working for us. So let's just stick with music. Absolutely. And at this stage too, Miriam, I'd love to ask you, as I ask every yoga teacher who's a guest on the podcast, what is your personal definition of yoga? Oh, I love this question. I've heard so many wonderful answers from your guests. Yoga lies somewhere in between grounding and connecting. There's a certain way that I personally feel when I'm practicing or teaching, Um, sitting down to meditate. Uh, just breathing to get through a difficult situation in my, you know, everyday life off the mat. There's that whole fusion or union yoga comes with as a definition. For me, there's a little bit of that, sure, but it's the connects me with who I am on the inside that I might not see on a daily basis, and then it helps ground me. Um, What you may not know, Lily, is yoga is not my full-time life. I actually teach as a hobby. because I love to. I have a very busy full-time job that is very, let's say, heady. It has a lot to do with policy and cybersecurity and technology and fintech and privacy and data protection and all of that. So throughout the day, I'm all up in my head and seeking the breaths or the daily sadhana that I do in the morning, my little practice in the morning that it includes a little bit of meditation or practicing yoga or even studying when I'm studying anatomy classes or when I'm studying my Buddhism classes. There's a feeling that comes along with all those things that nothing else provides me with. There's a little bit of slowing down. I feel grounded. I feel that my feet are touching the earth even when they're not. There's something about that um, that I love to hold on to. And it provides me with a balance, right, between what I do on a daily basis and my personal life in yoga and in all my studies. And so that's why I say connectedness and connecting and grounding because it provides me with these two things. And even as I'm walking to a class, I can feel it kind of wash over me. I could feel starting, or I notice myself starting to feel that way before I even get on the mat. And so I just look forward to the day where I just feel that way all the time (laughs) when Mm -hmm. I feel that whole mixture of it all. Um, That's definitely something that I really hope gets to me one day. Yes. And I also appreciate and love when I can have a a busy day, a heady day, a stressful day of emails and things going wrong or meetings. And then when I know I have to teach, 
and when I step into the room, it's, it's like it all kind of washes away. Like it feels so authentic to me too, to have, to be back in that space and have that energy again of calm and center and grounded because it's like calling, it's like naming it and calling it out and, and then drawing it to you, you know, energetically. It's a, it's a huge gift. I couldn't agree. Yeah, with that. you're right. So could you share with our listeners too, Miriam, what is yoga like in Bermuda? What's the kind of yoga scene been like in the past? Do you project it being different in the future? I'd love to hear more about it. Sure. Um, When I started becoming interested in yoga, like I said, back in 2008, it was a very quiet kind of undercurrent in Bermuda. But in Bermuda right now, uh, there's a large community small as the island is, it's a tiny country and it's a small town, Uh, but there's a large community. Before the pandemic, it was almost the proverbial, you know, there's a yoga studio at every corner. There were so many and the community was quite active and uh, quite tight. It's lovely to now see so many teachers coming back out of, you know, the COVID-related restrictions and everything coming back out to life. There are quite a few people who do yoga and nothing else. And there are quite a few people who partake of yoga or practice yoga as part of their regimen, right? As, as part of what they do to take care of their body and mind. A few years ago, there was a yoga festival, a yearly festival here. It hasn't happened since. Yoga is very often something that people are doing on top of like me, full-time jobs and their family lives, etc. And so um, maybe people got too busy to organize it again. But yoga, for sure, is no longer this mysterious word. And it's becoming more and more mainstream, like it is in the rest of the world. And you can see that in, you can hear that in your different podcasts. And so I can only assume what's going on all over the world. Um, I mean, you hear it from your guests in Bahrain and Ukraine and Mexico and Sierra Leone. Yoga has gone through this journey where it's now accepted as a not only mainstream because it's mainstream just for the heck of it, but actually because it has benefits. And science has finally proven the benefits of yoga and meditation and mindfulness. And so Bermuda is just a reflection of that. I'm also fascinated to hear a little bit more about Bermuda. I know some of our listeners maybe have questions or have dreamed of going there on their honeymoon. So would you tell our listeners more about Bermuda? Absolutely. Let me start by saying you can never take a bad picture in Bermuda. Bermuda is a beautiful place. Uh, We don't take it for granted. I never walk around or drive around without noticing how beautiful it is. Not just the lush greenery, but also the turquoise waters, the pink sand. People are lovely. They're friendly. And that's one of the first lessons that you learn moving here is you don't just say hey or hi. You have to say good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And so when you get on a bus, you notice the school students will get on a bus and say uh, morning, good afternoon to whoever is sitting there. You go to the store, the post office. And because it's a small town, it's only 62,000 of us really in 21 square miles on a rock dropped in the middle of the Atlantic. It's a quite a tight-knit community and uh, people get to know each other through also the various hats that you wear. And you rarely know one person from just the one thing, like this is just my coworker. It could be your coworker, but it could also be, I don't know, a, um, a scholarship committee somewhere or volunteering for a charity that you support as well, or they could be a musician. And so by virtue of that, it's a very active place. Initially, it looks like a sleepy town or a sleepy village, but it really isn't. It's very much a, a 
21st century, highly connected place when it comes to, like I said, technology and all of that. But we do take time to enjoy our surroundings. So you'll see in the summer, a lot of people come out to, you know, walking, they're running, they're paddleboard yoga in, in the water, or they're just paddleboarding, you see people walking their pets, etc. And by virtue of the place being quite friendly, it's nice. You never feel anonymous. You never feel like it's just you. And that's one thing I definitely like about Bermuda. Oh, it sounds idyllic. I mean, never being able to take a bad photo, that's a pretty big pull. <laughs> and the friendliness. And as you mentioned, it's, you said 21 square miles. Is that correct? Yeah, teeny tiny. It's a few hundred um, islands on top of a volcano in the ocean. And so we have bridges and the collective surface area of it is just around 21 square miles. Wow. Oh so basically, my gosh. Yeah. So basically, it's like the size of a small American town or Canadian town. But also, it's, um, you know, being 62,000 of us, you can fill, I don't know, a football stadium with all of us and our pets. You know? So it's very small. Wow. And is the weather year-round just sunny and gorgeous, or do you have a wet season as well? Oh, gosh. We wish. Uh, we have all four seasons. This is nearing the end of the summer. It's beautiful Throughout the year, it rains a lot throughout the year, but when it's cold, it's actually cold. So you get the beautiful sights in your coat and probably your, your scarf and your pants, and you're not wearing shorts all year long. That's the one thing I would change if I could. We definitely take advantage when the weather is good. Yeah, don't we all? And wouldn't I would love to have short weather all around the year myself. I am solar powered. I like to say that. <laughs> so am I, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So also, Miriam, I'd love if you would share with our listeners how they can find you and get in touch in case they had any questions or maybe they're planning a trip and would love to join you for a class. How can they get in touch with you? Oh, for sure. Thank you for this. So I have a website. It's myutiyoga.com and it's M-A-Y-O-U-T-I.com. You find information about me. I'm very active on Instagram. It's Bermudaful Yoga. So Bermuda full f-u-l dot yoga and uh, just borrowed that word because you know we have a beautiful day we have a beautiful year it's usually uh, synonymous with beautiful and lovely and all those nice words so that's what i chose for my handle on instagram oh i love that it, yeah i could definitely tell you were playing on the word beautiful i thought it was very <laughs> creative and i will link here in the show notes so wherever you're listening to podcast just Read the show notes, click below, scroll below, and you'll find Miriam's Instagram handle and her website link. And it will be on my website at wildyogatribe.com slash yoga in Bermuda. So you can read a transcript there. You can find her social handles. You can get in touch. So I am sure she'd be happy to answer any questions or anything that you know, arose in you during this podcast. So thank you so much, Miriam, for being on the show with me today. I feel like this is just what I needed myself <laughs> to have this beautiful conversation with a beautiful yoga teacher, a Bermudaful yoga teacher. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Lily, for the opportunity. And like I said, I really admire what you do uh, and how you do it. It's so easy to talk to you. It's so easy to listen to your podcast and listen to your conversations. And I can only hope that you continue doing this for a long time to come. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. My conversation with Mediam Mayuti, a yoga teacher from Bermuda, was so vibrant and engaging as we dove headfirst into moving the mind out of the brain and back into the body. I hope that this conversation made you want to seek a deeper connection with your breath, your anchor, and your most powerful reminder of where you are. If you're looking to tune into a podcast episode that's all about the humility and humanity in yoga, then this is the conversation for you. Thank you for listening to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. Be well. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you feel called, please share this episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. Leaving a review would also be so appreciated. I also hope you can join me online on my website, wildyogatribe.com, or on social media. I would love to get to know you better. I would love to share with you and to hear your thoughts. Send me a DM, send me a note, get in touch. It would be great to hear from you. And as always, be well, dear one, be well.